I'm a, I'm a Amanda, an alcoholic. It's like the Dylan Bob show. I know. <laughs> um, I don't, what do What do you do? You want to go first? Well, I'm forced up. So, um, anyway, <laughs> well, thank you guys. Thanks, Cody, for the nudge. Actually, um, uh, let's see. So, my sobriety date is uh, April 29th, two thousand nine. Um, I was born and raised in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, let's see, my parents, uh, my dad is an alcoholic. Um, so I, well, growing up, I don't remember my dad drinking. Um, but later, later on, um, you know, it became apparent that, you know, he was a drinker just like me. Um, I always knew that I, you know, was uh, different. I always wanted more, even as a child. Um, and uh, let's see. I, like, feel like I need to tell, like, you know, the from the beginning, like, from my birth till now, but I don't really need to do that. Anyway, um, let's see, my first drink, you know, I started drinking um, in high school, and um, I knew right away that, you know, I didn't drink like other people. I would go to parties, you know, the, the, the normal high school parties, and I was always the one that was, you know, falling down, puking just completely wasted and you know everybody else was having fun and holding them themselves together um and all all of the times that i've gotten in trouble there was drugs and alcohol involved so um i definitely uh could not handle it like normal people um my story does involve um a lot of drugs um i i i drank alcohol was my first love um, but I, it led to, you know, harder drugs, um, and so I battled that as well, um, but whenever there was a drink, there was a drug, it just went hand in hand, it was, it, I was always looking for that, that blackout, that normal, um, for me, and, um, you know, I, I, uh, I would get in trouble with the law and lose freedoms and, you know, I have a, a public record and all of that, um, but I, I would, you know, always be nudged to, you know, get help, um, you know, to, the courts would say, you know, you have to go through this program, you have to do this, and um, so I would do all that stuff just to get the, the fire out from under me, um, but, uh, I, you know, I could just fake it till I made it, um, but I never... I never thought that I really had a problem. I, it was just the people that I was hanging out with and um, the things that I was doing, but it, it couldn't be me. And so, you know, I, I even even my bottom, like my bottom, you know, I had lost everything, and um, you know, was 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 I had to you know leave leave my house for for quite a while and lose some freedoms and and you know stay away from society for a while and. That wasn't, you would think that that would be your bottom, you know, losing everything, um, not being able to pay rent, not knowing where your next meal is going to come from, um, losing jobs, losing, losing a career that, you know, I, I was really, really looking forward to, but, you know, I, I thought that I could have the career and um, maintain my, my, my drugs and alcohol, but, but I, I just kept getting worse. Um, I couldn't lower my, my morals fast enough for, for the things that I was doing. Um, so when I got out of that place, 
um, the first time, I, I, again, you know, I was, you know, on parole and, you know, still, still just trying to do what I had to do to get them away from me. You cross all, mark all the boxes and then look how good I'm doing now. And, you know, even you know, I would count the days, like how, how long I could drink and use until I had the next UA and, you know, the next reporting, you, you know, and, and, and they told me when I left that place, they said, if you, if you don't complete all the uh, requirements for, for your parole, you will be right back in here and serve the rest of your time. And that wasn't, I mean, that wasn't enough for me. And I was facing 25 years. And, and I was like, that didn't phase me. Didn't even care. So, so I, I got through all of that, still drinking and using. And by the grace of God, I didn't catch another case. <laughs> um, and, uh, but during that time after I was released from, from parole, I, I, I spiraled down even farther. Um, and I just, I was still chasing, you know, that, I was just running from myself, and, and I couldn't identify what it was, and so um, I was just always trying to escape and, and not have to look at what was in front of me. And so during that time, I continued to uh, spiral down and go farther and farther down, and um, the, the quality of people that I was hanging out with, you know, were, was just awful. And... Um, you know, I, I had alienated myself from my family, my friends, um, and just hung around people that were doing the same thing that I was doing. And so then, you know, one, one day I woke up, and, and like I said, it wasn't my bottom. The day that I woke up, and I was like, I'm done. Like, I don't even know where it came from. And today I know that it was God. It was, it was that desperation, and, it, you know, I, I believe that we are all prayed into this, these rooms. And, um, and I was just ready. And I had been worse, like I said, been worse than, than I was that day. And, and so I, you know, looked online and, and found a, a treatment center um, in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I lived in Des Moines at the time. So, I mean, what, what, what alcoholic is going to go three hours away from their home, you know, to, to go get help? But I did that because I was like, well, if I am three hours away, then if I want to check out, it'll take me three hours to get home. And, you know, I'm, I'm farther away from you know, all the people that can maybe sneak something in. And I mean, where were these thoughts coming from, you know? And so, so that was kind of the, the, the blessing in disguise. And, you know, and I s smoked and drank the whole way up there, you know, and, and went up, you know, I, I was supposed to be there at a, they said, you know, come and check in at this time. And of course I was late because you, know, you can't get anywhere on time when you're doing stuff like that, and, and they were, they were it, it, the lights were out when I walked in, and I had my, remember, I can remember to this day, I had my laundry basket full of my stuff, and a pillow, and, you know, all my, my hygiene needs, walked in, and the lights were out, and I'm like, well, they're closed, I'm like, I'll just come back tomorrow, but again, God's in charge, this lady walks by, and she's like, well, can I help you, and I'm like, yeah, well, I was supposed to check in here, but, you know, I think you guys are closed, she's like, oh, let me help you, I can take you upstairs, so she gets me up to the inpatient treatment, and get, we get all checked in. And you know, obviously, I'm I'm on a watch because you know I'm uh, the levels in my body are, are pretty high, and so they had to you know medically get me back to normal so I wouldn't be sick and and you know have seizures and all that. Um, so I stayed there for 28 days, and um, just getting the drugs and alcohol out of my system, like Patrick likes to say, made me sicker. Because now I was left with myself, 
and um, I didn't have a program. I'd been introduced to the 12 steps, um, but never, never really did anything. And so that started my process. Um, I, I really started, my perspective started to change when, when I was in that place. And I started to, I, I had, you know, some big spiritual experiences and realized the, the, the depth of my situation and the seriousness of my situation and that if I kept going the way that I did, I, I was going to die. Um, and so, you know, I started working the steps in there and going to meetings and, you know, getting, getting better. And, um, and I knew this time was different than all the other times. And um, so when I got out, instead of going back to my hometown, um, I knew uh, that I needed to get away from there. And my parents have summer homes here in Colorado. And so, um, so I said, you know, when I get out of here, I, I want to pack my stuff up and I want to go to Colorado with you guys. I don't know what I'm going to do, where I'm going to go, but I need to get away from, from Iowa. And so that was um, an epiphany for me, you know, to, to turn away from my whole, whole life, everything that I've ever known, and just go. And so we did. We packed up all my stuff. We moved to Loveland. And, um, and then I stayed with my parents for about a month. I started going to meetings um, in Estes Park, the Fall River Group. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that. Um, it's a lot of people that go to Harmony kind of start out at Fall River, a tiny little group. Um, and, you know, at this time, my dad was also in, in recovery. And so, you know, I had that support as well. And within a month, um, I, I knew that, you know, it was, I had a, a great life. Like, I'm not paying rent. You know, my parents are ma- making dinner and, you know, I don't have any responsibilities and I'm just kind of doing what I want. And, and I, I realized, I'm like, well, this, I shouldn't be doing this either. Like, I, I need to be on my own. I need, I need to be paying my own rent. I need to get a job. Um, I need to part from my parents a little bit. And so, so I, I found a sober living home in uh, Loveland and checked into that place. It's called the Serenity House. I don't know if it's still there or not, but um, is it? <laughs> yeah, so I uh, moved into the Serenity House, and, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a sober living environment or halfway house maybe. Um, but, I mean, again, like, who puts themselves in one of those places? Like, it, it was on my own volition, you know, and, and so I, I, you know, subjected myself to voluntary UAs and um, breathalyzers, and, and so I ended up staying there for a good 18 months, um, you know, and started going to meetings in Loveland and getting really involved in the recovery community there, and, um, you know, I, and at that point, I was maybe a year, a year or two sober, and, um, and I'm still very sick, you know, because it takes years for, for us to get this way, and, and um, it, it will take the rest of my life to, to be who I'm supposed to be. Um, I'm never going to be done working on it. But, um, so I bumped into this guy <laughs> in, in meetings up in, in Loveland, and um, he has four more years than I do. So um, we, we had, you know, seen each other, mutual friends, um, and, you know, being the respectful aa that he is, you know, he's like, I'm not going to date you or even really talk to you until you have two years of sobriety which was, you know, very smart. <laughs> but, um, you know, God also knew what, what he was doing when I bumped into this guy. 
Um, you know, so we, we, we started dating in early recovery, and um, he has given me so much grace um, during this, pro, this program. And, you know, we, it, it has not been easy. It has not been pretty. Um, and that, you know, mar- as, if any of you are married, you know that marriage is hard to begin with. And then you add, you know, put two recovering alcoholics together on top of that. And, whew, but we, we continue to grow and, and flourish in this thing. And, you know, now we have a family. We have two little boys, ages five and three. And uh, I, I don't know how, how we would be able to raise these children if we did not have this program. And... Um, we had a strong foundation, and we still do. And we, he's he is, it's it's almost like we pick each other up. You know, like when when I'm falling down, um, he's there, and he's like, hey, you know, maybe you should go to a meeting. And I'm like, who are you? You're not my sponsor. You know, <laughs> but but then like later on that night, you're like, yeah, I should probably go to a meeting. You know, and, and you know, and this and we we do the same thing back and forth. You know, I'll be like, oh yeah, step twelve. <laughs> You know, but but you 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 know you you hear that and then it sinks in. You might not be ready to hear it at the moment, but it sinks in, and uh, it 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 works. Like, and and you know we put God and recovery and um, humility in in our our marriage and in our our home, and it is not easy. And and we fail, but we're not supposed to do this thing perfectly. Um, and I'm supposed to be talking about step four. <laughs> so a little bit about step four. Well, let me back up here. So I was very involved in, in the recovery community, you know, before we had kids, um, you know, several times a week, you know, going to meetings, you know, sometimes twice a day, uh, every, every day, you know. And um, I worked with lots of women, took women through the steps and, you know, because that's what they told me. They said, you know, if you if you want something different, do something different. And you know, what better thing to get out of yourself than to take somebody through the steps? And if you think you're having a bad day, go find someone else that's having a bad day, and you know, your problems will look like nothing. And so, you know, I spent years, you know, taking women through steps and, and pulling women out of you know the the depths of despair and and helping people and giving my time and and it it helped me become a better person it helped me it just strengthened my sobriety and you know helped me learn about myself through other people and um you know step four was was really where my perspective changed in in my recovery because when i when i came in here um you know everything that i did was um because i was selfish and thinking about myself and you know i was just trying to maintain and 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 trying to you know, trust my instincts, and and I I couldn't. Um, you know, I I needed a different I needed a different perspective, and I had to be honest with myself. And when I first came in here, I couldn't be honest with myself. But you know, getting the drugs and alcohol out of my system and being around um, people that were doing the right thing um, helped me see that I I wanted something different, and I I wanted to be sober more than I wanted to drink. And um, that is still true today. And so I will do whatever it takes to not take that drink and to not go crazy. You know, the, I feel like the more time that I get, it's really not about the drink for me. It's about my mental sanity and, you know, how I treat people around me and 
my children and, um, you know, s- step four um, helped me see, you know, where, how I, how I used to react to resentments and um, things that happened in my life. And, and sometimes those, those defects and how I used to react in the past, they can come back. And so I have to continue to do a four-step and continue to take an inventory. And, you know, if, 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 if a situation is going sideways today, I always have to stop and be like, okay, well, what did I do? Where, where's my part? Because it was probably my attitude. It was probably my, my reaction. It was, it, it, I have to run it through somebody else because I can't do this stuff by myself. And even though, you know, as we were having kids, I stepped away from the program for about five years and I just recently started going back to meetings, and that's how I ran into Cody and Alfredo. And um, you know, it's not that I that I that I wanted to drink, but I just I needed I needed to be connected to my people again. You know, people that think like me and people that get me. Um, and you know, because you can talk yourself out of it. You, you you can be like, well, I don't need to go to those meetings. You know, I know what's in that book. Like that's not the problem. Um, but you know it. Just being being back in the rooms, um, you know, those five years that I was out, I, I I still have friends that are in recovery, and I still have, you know, a couple people that I talk to on a daily basis that know me and know everything that's going on in my life, um, and that has been so integral because if I can't get to a meeting or if I'm you know sounding silly, I, I can call this friend and and she she can she can be like, maybe it's time to go back to a meeting or hey, would you like to meet and you know, we out, she, she would always help me bring it back to recovery somehow. Um, just filtering your problems through somebody else helps so much. And even, you know, sometimes Patrick and I, you know, like if I just explain something to him, you know, he'll, he can help me rein it back in, you know, and, and vice versa. We, we help each other out and we can be like, you know, you're, you're kind of, that's, that's a little far-fetched and, and whatever. Um, I don't know, I'm just kind of rambling at this point. What do you want to say? <laughs> I want to say these are usually for me. Um, I, well, thanks, babe. Yeah. Um, Patrick, alcoholic. I guess I'll just start with my story and my my uh, experience with um, Alcoholics Anonymous and the steps, and they are just my experience and my opinion. Um, I grew up about twenty five miles southwest of here. Um, Boulder County, right in the foothills, right at the bottom of the foothills. It was a it was a good place to grow up, and there was lots of partying going on, um, a lot of weed even before it was legal. Everybody, it, it didn't matter uh, who you voted for, even the farmers. A lot of the farmers were smoking weed, you know, and. Uh, I had my first drink, so my great uncle um, had a, a big old farm right outside of Mead, and he was a World War II combat vet, and um, we'd go out to his farm, and there would be piles of Coors banquets in the yard that were like the size of a pickup truck, you know. <clears throat> he was a drunk. <laughs> But he saw a lot of stuff that we didn't see, you know. And uh, my cousins lived out there, and they had a, there was another house on the farm, and um, 
their refrigerator always had beer in it. And my cousin Brian and I were about the same age. We're about four years old, four or five out there one day on the farm. And we'd snuck a beer out of one of the refrigerators and uh, went into one of the barns and drank it. And um, I can... I can remember exactly to this day what it felt like, what we were doing, and that I wanted more. And I wasn't even old enough to ride a bike. I had a little trike, a little Dukes of Hazard th- plastic three-wheeler. They, they're outlawed now, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, and my cousin Brian's first word was beer. His dad worked for Coors. So Coors had a big old barley plant right over here. And my cousin's dad worked there, and everybody in my family drank Coors because that was the Colorado beer before all the microbrews, you know. And um, so anyways, that was my first drink of alcohol, and I can still remember. It was a sunny day, and uh, we had a ball, and I got that warm fuzzy that the doctor's opinion talks about in other spots in the book about how it made me feel, you know what I mean? And it, it made the day really good. You know, not that it was a bad day to begin with, but it really made it good, you know. Um, So I was like, well, something's going on with this stuff, you know, and I'm seeing it all around me. And, you know, the adults are all drinking it and uh, my cousin, older cousins are drinking it. And um, so that was my first uh, experience with alcohol. And I I chased that and romanced that through hell and back multiple times. And um Anyways, I, I, uh, I went to high school. I, I played a lot of sports. I was a good student, um, promising future, um, just like my siblings. And um, I walked out of Lyons High School one day and never went back. I was probably, it was my sophomore year. And I'd already been to juvenile detention that already, and I'd already had, I think, one DUI. I got up in Estes. Actually, I think I had two at that point in high school. And I just, uh, I was off the rails. I was, um, so you could go to downtown Boulder and get a a hundred hits of LSD easier than you could a bottle of whiskey as a 17-year-old. I don't know what it's like now, but it was definitely like that back in the early 90s. and then I, we'd, I'd shoulder tap homeless guys for booze. And it was just a, a lifestyle that I got trapped and sucked into really quick and easy and fast. And I loved every second of it. And I was, I was a tough kid. And um, I just, it didn't matter if you put me in jail. I jailed really well. You, you, you know, um, I still, I haven't been there in a long, long time. And I guarantee if I went back in there, I'd, I'd, it would just be like second nature to me. It's so bizarre. <laughs> Um, so I got a second DUI in Estes in 96 and I was living in Steamboat at the time and that was my first experience with Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Larimer County sentenced me to like, I think it was like three months or something up in Fort Collins and, um, they, these guys would bring a meeting in and. It was AA, and I wanted nothing to do with it. Um, and that was my first exposure, and it was limited, and I was uninterested. And um, fast forward the real a couple years, I'm in California. Um, it's like a week after my 21st birthday, and I'm sitting in a cell block 
with a $250,000 bond and looking at 12 years in Pelican Bay for a crime that I committed under the influence out there. And it was a little culture shock, I'm not going to lie, guys. It was a little bit different than Boulder County Jail or Larimer <laughs> County. And guys were getting stabbed in there for their shoes. Um, gangs run the place. It's a very violent, um, racist uh, place. Um, you, you, sell, you sell with your own race because they fight each other and kill each other over that stuff out there. And it was just a... It was a very nasty um, experience and scary experience for my family and, and myself. Um, and uh, I, I eventually got out and I had to live in California. So I, I got sent to a, a program in Southern California and I had to go to AA. And I had to go to treatment and I had to do monitored sobriety. And I'd done some of that out here in Colorado some other crimes that I committed before but this was pretty serious so I'm like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna do this um, but they didn't give you an abuse out there and out here they did so I was kind of skirting it out there I'm like well there I've got random breath so I can drink after a random breathalyzer out there so so the meetings out in the LA area are massive man and it's it was uh, I was kind of listening but I was also going to the 7-Eleven after the meetings and getting malt liquor because out there, there was no 3-2 in the gas station. So you could get, you know, for a buck 50, you got your malt liquor, 40 ounces out there. Um, so I was, I kind of had a little bit of desire to listen to what was going on in here and I wanted something different, but I was also drinking. You know what I mean? And then California kicked me off that program and because Colorado had warrants out for me in a couple different counties. And I came back here and, and killed those warrants and um, got out and bounced around the northern Colorado area just working. And then I wound up working as a door guy, <laughs> a door guy at a strip club in Boulder called The Bus Stop. And it was an infamous establishment that most people in that area at that time knew of very well. And it was a very rowdy, violent, drug-filled um, place, and I loved it. Um, and I'm 23 or 24, and uh, I got promoted there, and, and some of my friends worked there. That's how I got the job. And then I got my fourth DUI when I was working there in 2004 and um, that's what brought me into Alcoholics Anonymous so my sober date is June 9th 2005 so after I got my fourth DUI in 2004 I was on pretrial for like a year and they finally sentenced me to 12 months in Broomfield County and it was a lovely facility it was brand new they had carpet in the cells and um, so I turned myself in June 9th, 2005, and I did not realize what would happen. I always do this. <laughs> so at that point, I lost a house. I lost a bunch of toys. Um, I lost a woman that I uh, cared deeply about. Um, tens of thousands of dollars, um, driver's license, and um, 
I didn't even have a, I didn't even finish high school. So, so I'm 29 and I'm in there and uh, it was brutal. And I had been doing like cocaine on a daily basis for probably two or three years at that point. And I never really thought that I had a problem. And so when I'm in there, I'm kicking and um, it was the most painful experience I've ever had in my life. And I'd had a few up to that point, but um so I'm in there, and these guys from Vitality, which is down in Westminster, were bringing in a meeting. I think it was every Monday or Tuesday night. And um, they gave me a book, and I started reading this, this book. And I'd been given big books before, folks. <laughs> and I'd probably read a page or two out of them. But um, I had plenty of time on my hands this time again. And I started reading the first 164 pages, and it smacked me right between the eyes, folks. And I didn't need somebody to tell me where I was in that book. I didn't need any more information about the destruction of this thing. I'd, I'd lived it. I'd felt it. I've already experienced it. I had detailed information about it. Um, and every, every page I turn, I'm like, holy smokes, man. There I am again, dude. This is crazy. And, and I'm having these spiritual experiences in this facility, and I'm getting physically sober, and I'm, I'm wanting more of this thing, and, I, and I'm not really concerned about what I'm going to do with my life. I know I've got to rebuild, but I'm latched onto these guys that are coming in once a week, and they're like, just when you get out, call us, man. When you get out, call us. When you get out, call us, you know. So I got out, and um, one of my sisters had a little house on 3rd Third? Third Street in Loveland. Um, and I was like, so my plan to get out, I'm like, I'm going to Denver, you know, because <laughs> that's where that girl lived at the time, and I had friends down there, and I'm like, I'll just get, you know, I'm going to go to Metro, you know, I'll get, take my GED tests, and I'll, I'll slide into Metro, and I'm going to go to college, you know. So my family's like, well, why don't you just go up to, to Loveland? And I'm like, eh, Okay. So I didn't really know anything about the recovery scene in Loveland. And um, so I'm on 3rd and like Madison, St. Louis. And, um, you know, I'm like found this unity club. And it's on 3rd also. And it's a 13-minute walk from where I'm living. Okay, so mind you, I've got some clothes and then I, I, I had, and I always, this is irrelevant, but I want to tell you because it's kind of funny. I had 230 some odd dollars and I had got sent a check when I was locked up in Broomfield from a class action lawsuit that I never signed up for. But like when I got out, there's a check for me for 230 bucks, right? It was so random. And um, I didn't have a bike. I didn't have anything, man. And, and I, was, I was just gung-ho on this thing. So I walked to the Unity Club, and I wore out the hinges on that door on that place, man. So um, everything was perfect. It was, it was just this, this, this serendipitous spiritual essence of this program and God and all of this stuff. It was... It was I could walk to the Unity Club in 13 minutes. I could go to Safeway in like 15 minutes, all on foot. It didn't matter if it was snowing. I, I didn't care. I was just, I was going to meetings and I was just sucking this thing up and I was changing internally and it had nothing to do with like me. Like 
I'm not taking any credit of it. I'm doing this work and I'm listening and my life, I, I started getting happy and like peaceful, you know, and those were just like bumper stickers to me before, you know what I mean? Like they were just the, these arbitrary like words that had no, I had no meaning to, to me, you know, and, and in, in that, those promises that we read that like we will know peace and, and serenity, you know, and, and those things started happening inside of me in spite of who I was at that time. And it's because of what was going on in here and what I was doing. So I started going to Ames Community College. And if you know the Unity Club, the Ames Community College is right across the street. Okay. And uh, <laughs> it was awesome because it was everything was just laid out in front of me. You know what I mean? I didn't really have to have that in-depth of a plan to change my life. We already have one here. You know what I mean? And then I go to school because I don't know what else to do, and it's right across the street. So my life was really simple and grand and easy. You know what I mean? Um, and then I got a job finally. I, I, a lot of people wouldn't hire me back then. Um, I tried, and then I finally got a job. And so I was working part-time, going to college, and I was going to lots of meetings, and I was doing my step work. And I guess I'll start talking about the steps now. Uh, we still have some time. So I get this uh, sponsor in the Unity Club, and I won't say his name here because he probably wouldn't care, but he still goes there, and he's a good dude. and He's an old guy from Montana. That's all I'll say. The man saved my life. And uh, a, a number of years after I started working with him, a lot of people came up to me and said that I saved his. Because he was going through a lot of stuff that I didn't know about or probably even have the ability to care about because I was so sick. But as a result of him working pretty stringent with me, he started getting a little bit healthier in his program at that time. And his life started to get different. And, and that's no credit to me by any means. But that's how this thing works. And this guy would, would uh, literally just, he never told me to shut up. Um, nobody in that unity club did. I would go into that meeting, and I, w I was so sick that I didn't know the chairperson was calling on people after people stopped. I would just interject loudly at probably and start talking about things that probably weren't recovery related. And I scared people in there, but they never told me to stop or not come back or any of that stuff. You know what I mean? So they, they laid out these, this love, man. You could feel it in the room, man. So I, I got active. I got busy in that club, and um, I started doing my steps. And, and my first step, I didn't really do much. I had already done it. You know what I mean? I would already done all the the work for that. Um, so it was a really, for me, it was a simple yes or no question. You know what I mean? And I already had enough evidence at that time. And I go into step two, and I'm, I, was, I wasn't raised religious ever or spiritual, um, so I didn't have these preconceived notions or 
ideas that I would ever put up a front to, and I think that was really a good thing for me. Um, I had no bias about it, so I was open to all of it. And I get to step three, and these are, these are propositions that I can swallow, that I didn't really have a, a fight against, especially when I reference them with, you know, this thing called chapter to the agnostics, you know what I mean? Um, they were tenements that I could easily wrap my head around to move forward with my program because I wanted to stay sober, you know what I mean? That trumped all, all of... Um, my concerns about whether there was a God or not, because it was important now. You know, my life was on the line. And um, so I did, did the first three steps with that guy, and then he told me to go get a notebook, and I did. And we did the third step prayer and on the floor in the Unity Club right in front of the podium by that green chair. And um, I went home and started writing my fourth step right out of the book. I had the directions. He showed me what to do. I had the columns. Um, and, and I've never attempted anything like that before at that point in my life. Um, it wasn't really advantageous or beneficial for guys like me to be honest about stuff that was about to fly out on that paper to anybody. You know what I mean? It's, we just, we don't do that, you know? Um, and it was a little bit scary, but I was more scared of living the way that I was living, like Amanda said, than I was to do this work. And I, and I think if we really look back, that's the driving force for, for me anyways to propel me through this. It was a simple, am I scared of going back or am I scared of going forward and which one's scarier? You know what I mean? It's, it's really, we, we can, we sit around in circles in here and talk about this stuff and we get complicated and complex with it. But like at that point in my recovery, I was faced with that decision. Am I going to write this stuff down and share it with somebody or am not? So I did. And it was, <laughs> it was very interesting. And I, and I started having many spiritual experiences along the way while I was doing my steps and it seemed like every AA meeting I would go to was on the fourth step back then. And then I'd get out of the meeting, and I'm so flippin' selfish back then. I'm like, oh, my God, that meeting was for me. <laughs> that, that meeting was totally for me. And maybe it was. I don't know. But, like, everything was about me back then. You know what I mean? Um, but it was strange because it was it – was, and then if I was on another step, it would, a lot of times it would be that step. And I'm like, holy smokes, man, this is what I need. So I wrote this four-step, and there's three sections to it, as, as most of us probably know. And um, it took me probably three weeks. And uh, I finish it, and I call my sponsor, and I said, hey, I'm done with this thing. Let's move on. And he said, all right. So I'll never forget that day. I... I, I I brought my four-step into the Unity Club. It was on a weekend, and it was in the morning. And my sponsor was sitting in the Unity Club, leaning back in a chair like he usually does. And I have this thing. And then I realized what I was about to do, and <laughs> I got scared, man. I was like, holy smokes, I'm about to drop this stuff on some dude I barely know that's some pretty gnarly stuff. 
And um, it, it took all day. And he didn't laugh. He didn't cry. He didn't make any remarks or comments. What he did tell me is some of the things that he did when he was running and gunning in Montana as a, as a, as a biker back in the day. And um, it made it easier, and, and I finished it. And I did what the book tells us to do. I went home, and I got quiet for an hour, and, and I did what I was supposed to do. You know what I mean? And um, I, haven't, I haven't had a drink since, that, since I got in here and started doing the work. And I, I know that's not everybody's story, but that's my story. Um, so I, we have some time, so I'm just going to keep talking. If that, is that all right with you guys, or do you want to, somebody else want to? Where's the, where's the boss? Yeah, Alfredo, the boss. Yeah. Does anybody have any questions? Uh, yeah, absolutely, Sean. I think you know the first column is is you know what what are you what are you mad about you know like what what are your what's your resentment you know um, it could be institutions people places things um, you know and that you know at first you know that's like well yeah I mean everybody wronged me you know I, I'm I'm mad at everybody because you know of course because I'm so selfish you know. Um, so I was just told, you know, just write down, get your resentments out, just write them down. And then the next column, it's been so long, um, is, is it why? Like, how would it affect? Is that right? Why? What, what, why you're mad at that person? We should have brought a book. We should have brought a book. <laughs> well, what? so. The, oh, the cause. Why? Like, what did it affect? Right. Like, yeah. Um, so he's asking about the, the format. Oh, instead of like. Oh. So, and I'll let you read that too. But um, I've, I've done it both ways with people. So, so we live in the internet age. If you Google a four-step, you're going to find probably five or six different templates, maybe more now. Um, I, I went right out of the book, and I, my sponsor had me write the columns with the questions on the tops of the columns, and also with fear and also with sex. So I guess what I'll do is I'll start drilling down into each part of the fourth step. Um, the first one's the resentment one, and, and, and I've always done the columns, and when I work with guys, I, I still have my original fourth step. I never burned it. Okay, it's 16 years old. Um, I read it when I was probably about five years sober, and I, I, ha I couldn't remember who the people, a lot of the people were that were named in it. The resentments were totally gone. Um, and, and at the time I wrote those, they were so real, I actually wanted to um, harm some of the people that were on that list. I'll just say that. Um, so the power was gone. 
but so so my resentments were I had the resentment columns and that was a lengthy process and probably 15 to 20 pages okay so when I finished my resentment every, every single part of the four step when I finished that process I was instructed to call my sponsor and that's what I do with guys that I work with today when I finished resentments I called my sponsor he said we're gonna start on fear there's questions in the big book about the fear okay so I, I, I wrote all those questions on the top of the a column sheet from the fear inventory. And my sponsor also told me to keep it at four pages, okay? And four pages of fears. And so when he told me this, I said, he's gotta be crazy because I don't have four pages of fears, okay? So when I started diving into this inventory process of fear, I realized that I was absolutely filled with it and four pages was just the top. You know what I mean? He told me to stop at four. You know what I mean? So when I first heard that, I was like, oh, he's implying that there's going to be more. You know, and I probably got sad about it when he said it. Um, but he was right. I, I, I could go on and on with fear inventory. So when the fear inventory was done, I called him, and then I have a sex inventory, and then we have questions on in 68 and 69 about the sex inventory. So my fourth step was three parts, okay? Um, but I, I don't, I don't, I've never done the paragraph format. I've written a lot of stuff in columns that are very big that could be paragraphs, but, but the format that I'd used and I still use with guys when I do work with them, which I rarely do anymore because of my life is a little busy right now, We've always done the columns, and when I, when, I, when I make that first resentment column and I'm working with guys, just like my sponsor asked me, he says, write these people down first. So on my resentment inventory, I wrote my mom's first name, my dad's first name, all my siblings, the last institution I was in, and the last person I had sex with. And that's how I do it. So um, anyways, there's some, a little detail Good question. Does that kind of answer it or? Okay. Um, any more questions? We've got like 13 minutes left. Do you want to talk or do you want me to? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I guess we could kind of talk about like how, how it is now for us, you know. Sure. Um, how we, you know, stay sane today. Yeah. I don't know if that you guys want to. So I guess I'll just finish up my little story about yeah. recovery. So um, obviously I met Amanda in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. We got married. Um, things, that we've, things that we've done together that I've never done before, um, we've bought in refrigerators together. It's the longest together. relationship either of us has ever had. Right, right. <laughs> it's the longest relationships either one of us has had. Um, but we've, we've developed a life together on these principles. Um, we own real estate together. We, like I said, I, we bought a really cool refrigerator and I'd never bought a refrigerator before. You know what I mean? And it's all these things, and I'd, we've never, I'd never had kids before. She'd never had kids before. So there's all these, this, this life happens. You know what I mean? So, so in early recovery, I'm on the top of the world at like, you know, my first couple years, I'm in this pink cloud. I'm chairing meetings. Um, so is she. And, and life is easy. And then I, I remember seeing people with time come into uh, meetings and say, hey, they're struggling and they've got 10 years and, and they don't look happy. And I'm like, this program sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I'm on top of the world and I'm new. You know what I mean? And I think I know everything. 
well, I don't know what that guy's got going on. He might be running a business with 30 employees and has four kids and two of them might be sick tonight. You know what I mean? So now I fast forward the real, you know, 12 years, you know, we got a five-year-old and a three-year-old and two of them had staph infections in the last week and a half. And one of them had one going down his ear canal and they're, they need us. And we've got really difficult careers that demand of us. And, you know, we can't be here with you guys like we'd like to be. So, you know, we're, we're trying to do our best with these, this foundation that we have living these principles in our lives. And I know everybody in here with kids knows exactly what I'm talking about because they come first. You know what I mean? My five-year-old can't take care of himself. You know, my three-year-old can't. So I'm very grateful that I had a strong foundation in Alcoholics Anonymous before we started this journey together because I don't think it, I don't know if it would have made it or if I'd be sober. Right. Um, but yeah, we have, we have this amazing life. I, I pull up to my house sometimes and I pinch myself because I actually live there. It, it doesn't happen to guys like me. Um, we're, we're statistical miracles in here, folks. Um, it's, it's wild. I mean, I got a brand new pickup. It's not about stuff, but man, I like having cool stuff that I own and that I work hard for. You know, and I, I got a brand new truck, man. I, I bought it six months ago. He, he calls me when he buys this truck, and, and he's, he's crying. And, and, and it hit me, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like this middle-aged man with, you know, 16 years of sobriety. I'm like, what, what's wrong with you? But then I'm like, wow, we bought a truck. Like, and we didn't steal it, and we didn't. We'd had, truck, we'd had we trucks before. But we didn't have to sell a bunch of dope to get it, right. and it's ours. <laughs> Like, and so I was like, I get it. Like, wow. Yeah, I mean, I I started working for myself. Um, She went back to college, too, and she she got, you know, she's got this amazing medical career. Yeah, I mean, despite, you know, most people, like, even when I come into rooms, they're they're like, I think I was talking to Alfredo after a meeting the other day, and he's like, oh, you, 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 you can be an asshole? I'm like, yeah, you know, but I mean, like people like it's not about what you look like. You know, I used to judge that, like, look at that guy with all those tattoos. Like he must be like, he's, you know, or in the, or people see me, you know, and, and, and when I tell them, you know, I was a meth addict, I, I, I went to prison. Like I, I, I was on the streets, like, and now I'm a medical professional. You know, I have a criminal record, and, and I overcame that because of this program, because I showed up, I did the work, and I continue to do the work, and, and, I, and I, 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 I'm not ashamed or – some of the things that I went through, I wish I didn't have to go through, but I did it because of my own – I made my own decisions. Nobody pushed me there. I'm not a victim. And – all of those things I use today to make who I am today, to make me who I am. And, and, and I know that God, has, the purpose that he has for me today is to share my experiences and, and to show people that no matter where you've been, how far down you've been and what mess you've created, you get a second chance. Like, we are the chosen people. Like, we get a second chance at life. Yeah. I mean, that's a big, big deal. So I always I always look at it like this, like we all have a favorite book in here. I'm sure that, you know, by heart, you know, what's going to happen. My story, when I used to tell it when I was in early recovery, I I was it it would almost launch me right back in there and it would wreck me for a week, man. 
And now I, I still get emotional about it, but I don't have a connection like I used to. It's just like a, a story I know by heart that I don't really, it's almost like it wasn't me anymore because I've, I've put enough recovery behind me and I have enough time where I've created a new life, an esteemable life that's above the board, that's legitimate, where I don't own that stuff anymore. I can use it as a tool to help some of the newer guys or younger guys saying, hey, if you're struggling, man, and you want your life to be better, well, it's going to take some work and it's going to take some time. But this is how I did it. This is where I'm at now. You know what I mean? Um, so we share that experience, strength, and hope in here. And, and, and hopefully there were some new people that got something decent out of this, this chat. Um, it took what it took for me to get in here. It wasn't um, circumstances or threats from judges or anything else. It was this internal pain that I knew if something didn't change, I was not going to survive. I, I just, it was, that, that's, that's it. And it was all self-imposed crisis, just like the book talks about. I couldn't blame anybody. By the time I get in here, there was no more blame left. You know what I mean? And that, and that gave me the opportunity to, to work through these steps honestly and take a look at it all. And, and I would not be sober if it was not for that, for that desire. So um, do you have anything else you want to say, baby? Um, I, you know, I, I think that, like, just can, even when we get more time in here and um, just always being able to look at your part, because we always have a part no matter where we're at. And I feel like the more sober more time that I get, um, you know, and then raising these kids, like they, they are teaching us so much. So constantly looking for, you know, what you're supposed to be learning and where you can agree in a situation instead of trying to fight it. Um, where can I, but, but not compromising your values and your morals, you know, and, and, you know, I was told by my sponsor early on, don't ever compromise anything for your sobriety. So that means, having somebody come and watch our kids so we can come and hang out with you guys today. You know, like before, like there's been times where we're just like, you know, we have a newborn baby and it's like, we don't, I don't trust anybody to watch this baby right now. You know, whatever it is, bring your baby with you, you know, and, and then now we're just to the point where we're like, okay, we need to have someone watch our kids so we can come back and, and, you know, do what we need to do. And there's been times where, you know, I was like, step out, you need to step out. You know, and there's been times where he's like, you should you should leave for a little bit, you know, and and being able to accept that and be like, ooh, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of crunchy, <laughs> you know, and um, being able to humble yourself and you I mean there's there's times where you know we had a little argument this morning and you know and, and and ten minutes later he comes back and he's like I'm really sorry you know I shouldn't have I shouldn't have said it that way and it's hard to do that it's hard to do that but. That's how it works. I mean, constantly, you know, looking for what our part is and how we can be better. I just want to be better than I was yesterday. Yeah. Amen. Yeah.